Whether it's digital or analog design that keeps you busy, today it's all about the experience. This is Experience by Design, a podcast exploring the latest trends and solutions helping create the most intriguing experiences you can imagine and the ones you can't. Hosted by Brian Mazaros. Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. I'm your host, Brian Mazaros, and today we welcome Chad Hudson, CEO of Leviathan. Established in 2010, Leviathan is a specialized creative agency that transforms distinctive environments into exceptional experiences. Their work spans across a variety of industries, from retail, having worked with Nike and Kohler, to themed entertainment, where they crafted several unique experiences for Disney, and most recently, an exceptionally designed interactive experience for McDonald's inside their global headquarters. It is a pleasure to welcome Chad to the show. Hey, Chad. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Glad to be here. Ah, pleasure. Pleasure. So, you know, I have to ask, what's the origins behind Leviathan? How did how did you get started, and and you know, how did how did it come together? We've just surpassed our ten year mark, which is uh, quite a landmark for us, and we're glad to thank you. Uh, glad to make it for for the last decade. Uh, the brief story: I, I had a small digital slash motion agency. Uh, before this. And in 2009, just after one of the last economic crashes, which we uh, were able to survive, but not without some some casualties. But I had some other folks I had been working with and collaborating with and thought, wow, we we seem to have a lot of synergy between us. We all came from motion design backgrounds, for one, but also uh, of the three partners that started Leviathan. One had been a a fine artist. He had worked in painting, uh, sculpture, illustration, and literally sold his works uh, for a living. Another fellow had gone into, I think, metalworking at school, but then he later went on to um, build design and build robots for a touring art exposition. And then, and then I worked for an experiential design firm. They worked on trade shows, events, museums, and some other uh, other cool immersive experiences. So while we all had that that background in creating content and stories, we also had uh, this personal passion of working in physical spaces. So so interestingly, when we started plotting Leviathan, we all thought, okay, well, producing content will probably be our the lion's share of our work. But if we're lucky, then some of this uh, some of these more experiential projects will catch on. I think. That term experiential was still somewhat new at the time. So thankfully for us, we we had Disney as a client out of the gate and some other projects that really helped set our course to always incorporating content into an experience. But we were able to help uh, eventually help design and guide what the overall experience should be versus just the interactive or content related pieces. How challenging did you find it? So, so, so 10 years ago, so that's 2010. It's kind of like you said, I mean, it's it's an emerging practice. And so when, when you're, you know, obviously Disney's a, a great one to cut your teeth on, but but coming out of that, did you still, was it easy to find an, an audience or, or to find the next client given that experiential design was still, I mean, a relatively new, a new form of expression with media? I mean, was, was there a challenge there? 
Yeah, I guess the, the term itself, experiential, not everyone, I think even today, some folks still uh, may not use it in their day-to-day -day vernacular. But but at the time, what, what helped us, there was one project for a, a, a musician, electronic musician named Amon Tobin. And this would be 2011, shortly after we had started. But he had a, a tour that had a very interesting visual component. Uh, oftentimes with electronic musicians, they may be uh, cueing their their loops or playing their synths, and there's not really a lot behind them other than maybe a flat screen that's being projected on. So uh, as part of this tour, there was this interesting sculpture uh, for the background. Uh, it looked like a bunch of white cubes. And then we created some projection alignment tools as well as some content alongside of another VJ named Velo Workhouse. And I think the success of that tour really helped launch the success of our firm. So by then, when you'd have uh, Wired or Fast Company or New York Times throwing out terms like uh, uh, music, uh, music that's experiential, and everyone's like, wow, we want experiential too. And uh, without really knowing what projection mapping was or how it was done, I think that was a good example of, yes, we were about nine months old as a company, but once that, once that experience sort of hit the mainstream and uh, Came, I guess, part of a underground or even popular culture that helped us um, take off as an organization and put that term "experiential" uh, more in the forefront in our conversations. So, so what challenges have you you had though in growing? Because I kind of find in talking to just other firms, I mean, the, the challenge is then building an organization and and finding the right pieces that fit in and and the talent. Because again, I think some people that find themselves into this you know, domain are not necessarily coming out of school studying it. It's it's pieces of it or or kind of as you put it, it's projects that you work on that shape your perspective. I mean, how how has that been as a as a challenge? And I think even furthermore, developing a culture to sustain that as an agency. Yeah, great points. I think the initial challenges were around trying to find the right talent. And this is not to say that we were an organization of unicorns, so sure. we're not going to be that, that precious with it. But I think finding people who maybe have the uh, potential to, to get what it was that we were trying to do, those weird blends of real-time visuals, uh, perhaps with uh, sprinkle a little bit of architecture in there, perhaps some software development or, or motion design. This Any sort of combination we had, I think, really helped once we found the right people, it helped us to to sustain a bit of growth. Um, maybe to caveat that too, I think we also were a bit too ambitious early on and tried to do a bit of everything that came our way. And yeah, I think that was... But it's, it's sort of the agency mentality in the beginning, I think, though. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's something you, you fault. I feel like you have to do that in order to, to maybe figure out where you need to go. That's that's a very valid point. Yes, uh, sometimes you you want to do something for fun. Other times you feel, hey, we could really grow in this direction. We could develop a whole other competency or practice area. And uh, sometimes those experiments are worth failing in, just to let you know, wow, I'm glad we didn't get too far with that. So um, so maybe to to take that and move into the the cultural question you had. When I describe a, a maker culture at Leviathan, it, I think it's truly an embodiment of that. We have designers who are working cross disciplines where they may have 
gone to school to be more of a traditional graphic designer and they had since moved into UI and UX design or they've also picked up After Effects or uh, Cinema 4D as a motion design tool or they also experiment in coding. And similarly for the software developers or creative engineers that work in our space, they may have a side hustle doing generative artwork. Uh, they may like to solder boards get more involved in AV and, and even the producers or project managers have these interesting backgrounds where they may have started as a designer or animator or a photographer. So I, I think that, that, that the idea of you know how to make things, that makes the, the creative people and the managers better for our organization. And it's, it's very much a part of our culture and what, what inspires us. Do you see, and I love how you, you, you presented that, I mean, but, but do you see with how things have, have changed now, um, where it's a bit of a work from home mentality and a shift, do you see that impacting? Because I mean, you, you talk about, you know, maker culture, which, which I love, and a lot of it is hands-on and collaboration. Do you see that, you know, impacting at least over the couple of months of, of the creativity and the inspiration or, you know, how is, how has that changed the organization uh, I won't lie. It's definitely put a, a ding into the process and into, I think, more than anything, communication. It, it seems uh, seems silly that, hey, if we can be connected virtually almost all the time, we can have conversations as groups or as individuals and even share screens, it, it should almost make it easy, easier, rather. And I think that something just can't can't be communicated with a screen when you when you aren't standing around that physical object or a mock-up of what will become an interactive experience uh, there's something definitely be lost there so um, we had a good probably four months where we didn't have anyone interacting with each other we, we just recently opened up our office to have i think at most maybe three or four people at a time and we're extremely socially distant from each other but uh, and, and taking all precautions, but we can at least stand around that thing, and someone can can be the the pair of hands and interact with it, and someone else can adjust programming. So we're just now starting to come back together and be able to interact with those um, with those physical installations. But apart from that, I think it's been a tremendous evolution in the right way, where we stripped out a lot of what. I think we might deem unnecessary. We don't have to travel on site all the time. Uh, we we don't have to rely on, to, to get geeky for a second, on uh, render servers within our facility. We've embraced what can be done in the cloud, how files can be distributed using Dropbox and other sync synchronization tools. So it's I think the culture is still intact. We are, I think, all still hopeful that we can at least find that uh, future hybrid environment where we can do a lot remotely, but we can still come together to collaborate and see these uh, physical manifestations in person. Do you, do you think your culture, and as, 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 you're, as you're kind of talking there, I'm thinking, you know, do you, do you see that the culture that you had established really helped with that transition, you know, meaning that you, in you, you've always been in that position of, of using technology to create experiences. Obviously, this is a new experience for all of us. But I think it, it sounds, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the culture that you had established seemed to help with that transition of figuring out smarter ways to, like you said, with render engines and, and thinking through that to where 
there's other ways to solve that problem. Do you think you, know, you can contribute some of that success and transition back to the culture that you have? Yes, 100%. To have people who are always inquisitive and curious and experimental, that has always served our organization for client solutions, but for it to be part of our own solutions has been, uh, it really has accelerated how those problems have been solved. So yes, great point. And then also one other addition there I'll add is when we were acquired a few years ago by another organization called Envoy, they were always a digitally native agency, as in they would design websites, apps, and other sorts of experiences uh, that people experience mostly online. So to have some of that DNA already added into what we were already doing, it, it made the, the flip the switch and having other other tools uh, at our disposal really just ready to roll. So it's nice to have the support. Yes. One, can't, I can't understate that. That's always a good thing. That's a good thing. Yes. Absolutely. So, I mean, so looking, you know, looking forward, um, you know, I caught there was um, a report that came out from from SOTA, so um, Society of, of Digital Agencies, for those that are not familiar, which I know you guys are are a part of. And, you know, there was some, you know, there's some talk in there. Obviously, there's a lot of aspects of, of what the agencies cover, but more particularly or specifically um, digital experiences, there was an interesting stat I saw about budgets, you know, there's a growth of, I think it was a 38% towards um, experiential and, and physical installations. Now that was, that was back in published in February, just before, um, you know, COVID hit and everyone started to go into lockdown. So what, what do you see, I mean, for the rest of this, this year, does that number hold up or does that, I mean, do you think people's or clients mentality are still towards physical installations? Do we see, um, you know, recovery as we go into the fourth quarter, or are we really at this point of just looking at 2021 as, as being the, the reboot and looking at that number be more applicable to next year? I'm impressed. You're very well read. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you See, I try, I try with this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big fans of Soda. It's a great organization. Um, we had, uh, gosh, when, when, all, when, when COVID pandemic struck, I think we were pretty fearful. We probably, like most organizations, had a, a screeching halt to a lot of what we were doing. And I think somewhat most of that was just around uncertainty in general. Uh, our clients didn't know how they would be able to move forward with projects that we had either been speaking with them about or already had been working with them on. And um, there's just uncertainty in, on our end. How would we ever... Who, who would even be interested in a physical installation in a time like this? Yeah, who, do you, who be... do you talk to? Who do you try to convince that uh, what they're reading is, you know, there's a different interpretation to it? Mm -hmm. Precisely. So uh, interestingly enough, uh, we, we haven't quite hit 38%, but I think we're on track for 33% growth of our organization from a revenue standpoint. And, and maybe now that you mention it, there's definitely been we've seen an increase in the project budgets, just even with the ones we have right now. So so 38% may not be too far off from, from that number. I'll give Soda props for for predicting that. Uh, we, we did have a slowdown. We do have projects that have either still been on pause or they never advanced to the next phase. They're sort of uh, in flux at the moment and some that even went away altogether, but we've also taken on new projects. So I'm, very optimistic for what 
the rest of the year is going to bring for us and even into 2021. But I'm also a realist in that if there if there was a a screeching halt at one point uh, with the first wave of, uh, of COVID striking us, then what's to say that everything else won't also go on pause when there's a, a second wave that, that, that strikes. So I, um, I, I've been thankful for the year and or unthankful in so many ways, but thankful that we have been able to survive and even thrive as an organization. And we, we are already seeing projects that have uh, booked into 2021. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, you know, we've seen it, you know, I've obviously seen it and, and, and read too. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think what makes it a bit more, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is, is challenging is that it's not, it's not a consistency, consistency across the different markets that you would, you yes. would touch. Themed entertainment, um, you know, which we know is, is, is still not 100% open. Um, you know, and that, that varies. But then, um, you know, various public spaces are. Um, various retailers are, are now coming back. And the list goes on. Um, does that make it challenging for you guys in terms of, of finding projects or figuring out, you know, do you, do you narrow the focus for a bit and, and, and focus on one particular vertical or do you just continue this mindset of, of just, just talking to as, as many, any groups and just hearing their pain points and figuring out ways that you can assist? Well, it, it has been heartbreaking in particular to see what's happening to the live events industry, which we work in as well. And, and same for themed entertainment. I, I don't think theme, themed entertainment has not been hit quite as hard as live events where there just aren't any, or there's this pivot to try to do webinars and have that suffice as, uh, as a product launch, for example. Um, the themed entertainment has, has reopened. Like if you think about museums and Disney Universal Parks as an example, but I know their, their revenues are down and a lot of the projects that had been on the tip of their tongues have been put on hold as well. But for it's the brand environments, which can be corporate headquarters or innovation labs, uh, that, that's still been surprisingly strong. And I think where there has been, uh, as you mentioned, this within the dialogue of what are your pain points and how can we help, the, the pivot from doing a, a briefing to executives, essentially a, a sales conversation that involves subject matter experts and just really diving deep into solving those problems. Whereas that had been a quite the experience in doing this in person and dedicated facilities and having um, great catering and just all the, all the different uh, prototypes or software versions or products at your disposal in person. That, that has then pivoted quickly into a virtual briefing where we can still add a great experience. What What is the great equalizer is uh, Zoom or Google Meet or or any of those platforms. They're all kind of the same in some ways, but if you can augment that the right ways with robust content or extend it with other bespoke interactive experiences, then, hey, you're making the best of a, of a somewhat lousy situation. You're allowing everyone to continue to do their jobs how do you how do you see because you know this is this is one topic i'm really curious in your thoughts on is is you know the way we interact obviously has been impacted and you know there's there's conversations or you know i think frictionless experience and you know this has been the year of, of multiple new terms that we have to get acquainted with social distancing and 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 now and in our world i, I feel like the term 
frictionless experience is starting to come up more where it's, you know, it's interactions that take place that are not necessarily having someone touch something, but maybe reacting to, to motion or to proximity. And have you, have you seen that? Have you seen those requests? Do you see that as something that you need to consider more going forward that maybe interactions don't necessarily all take place on a solid surface? Um, maybe they do take place based upon human behavior. Um, through through sensors and and cameras and and, and that is as that come into the way you're thinking about experiences going forward most definitely and thankfully not to not to toot our own horn but even since day one we've been doing that as well i think uh, maybe back in the days we were doing it more as as experiments or uh, just hearing about new tools and wanting to do some r&d with them but we've we've worked with what what used to be the Connect, and thankfully the Microsoft Connect is back again as the Connect for Azure, or Intel RealSets cameras, uh, at Pepperin, artificial intelligence, um, computer vision, a lot of other tools that have been been brewing for years and have come into mainstream, and and voila, you already have a lot of tools that are already at your disposal, and it's thinking as well about how can we use the limitations of even some of those platforms to, to make it a, a simpler experience for people who are in a physical environment. Um, for example, some of these sensors work best in certain, um, it's, it's field of view has, a, has some limitations. So if, you're, if you can put a square or a circle artistically on the ground and have people stand there, then you're already working, you're in the sweet spot of what the camera already has and before you wanted to hide that and now you can really flaunt that say hey stand here and start the experience um who thought that qr codes would still have a, a place in the world that's a very good point yes uh, if you have your own phone and you scan a qr code that's uh, a few inches away from, from the screen you're standing in front of and it is the technology that will never die i know i know no one really wants to download an app for everything and that's no, okay no um, people people so want to hate it and and want to bury it and uh it, it is going to live eternity. It will forever be there. When we finish our careers, the QR code will still re, it will remain. It'll, it'll never, it'll never change. I know it'll transcend dinosaur bones. I think so there was what is it, a couple of years ago there was the Microsoft version of QR codes. Um, I forgot what it was. It was called, but it, it it was. I mean, it was basically a QR code, but it had a, a better color scheme to it. Oh, you're going to test my memory. I, uh, I I'm testing my memory on this. I'm still. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm dating. Maybe I'm dating ourselves by by going back okay. to past Microsoft products. What do, what do I got next to old operating systems? Um, <laughs> let's talk about Flash while we're at yeah. It. Let's talk about Flash. <laughs> let's go to the Macromedia Director. Um, let's just go back down that memory lane. And, uh, oh, too funny. But what do you think? I mean, it's it's um, so you and I were we were supposed to be in Las Vegas earlier this year, yes. and uh, which sadly did not happen. And um, I keep seeing headlines for uh, Meow Wolf's uh, Mega Mart um, exhibition, I guess is the, the best way. I don't know if you're familiar with, with them. Oh, I would love Meow, Meow Wolf, yes. Uh, I, I, I really wanted to see it. Um, I don't think it was going to be open early, anyway earlier this year. Um, I think it was a late, mid-late, but now I'm seeing headlines, and I'm a little confused whether it's opening at the end of this year into, into 2021, but the concept is I, I, I'm just blown away from what I've been seeing online and, and some sneak previews of it. But 
you know, the other side too is I, I wonder, you know, what happens to experiences like that? Because it's all about touch. It's, it's all about that kind of sensory interaction. Um, do those experiences, I, I, I hate to say that all those experiences are never going to be, you know, pe- people at some point will be comfortable in going in there. Um, it's just, I think it's a question of when, and I hope that those, they don't go away because, you know, it's, it's that nice balance of, of art and, and sensory experiences that it just, there's, I think for what we do digitally, there's still just a sense of a real nice tactile experience is, Mm -hmm. is so sought after still. Absolutely. Well, I, I know that themed entertainment has been embracing these kinds of modes of interaction or, or immersion. I know that the, the term immersive environment can mean so many different things, but I think once you can be transported into a whole other world and forget where you are, what time it is, what universe you're in, uh, that that has huge power. And a lot of that can be dictated just by, much like what Meow Wolf was doing, they're transforming an entire environment, uh, fantastically speaking, too. So when you, when you add interaction into the mix, that certainly exponentially, I think, amps up the, the power of the experience, too. Um, theme parks, museums as well, maybe to a lesser degree, just due to budget constraints. But theme parks have been investing in technologies that, it seems like it is truly magic. And uh, I think that that's not going to change. If, if anything, brand environments could learn a thing or two from, from doing that. It, and it, it doesn't have to come at the expense of being whimsical either. You can use some of these tools that um, kind of defy reality to a certain extent. They can be touchless. You can still use, as we mentioned earlier, uh, artificial intelligence, voice commands, uh, different data feeds that can somewhat automate the process so that true physical touch may not really ever be needed. Or uh, using that, that second screen, uh, I think you coined the term as a bring your own device, um, incorporating those. I, I don't think there has to be a big impact uh, when it comes to the physical inter- interactivity. If anything, right now, I think everyone's fears are just getting multiple people in any enclosed space. So I, I'm looking forward to moving beyond that. Hopefully, 2021 is um, is the is the year we get to do that. I hope so. I, you know, one of the things I, I really do I do love, and I think you know, experiential design over over the years has has continued to to mature. And but I think at the root of it, at least at you know part of it, should be embracing storytelling. And you know, there's there's a lot of ways to which to tell a story. And and I agree with what you said. I, you know, even if you take away certain aspects of opportunities for people to immerse themselves into a story, there's still, you know, creative ways for them to engage and fully embrace the environment that they're being placed in. Um, but it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's an art form, but, you know, I think every project that we in, in, embrace or embark upon, there's always a challenge of how to deliver that story differently. Um, you know, I love one of the you know, kind of recent projects that I know you guys had worked on, which was um, the McDonald's headquarters. And, you know, I think, I mean, I absolutely love every aspect and all the different touch points. But what I love is that, you know, you you had seen, you, you approached it in a way of telling the story of the brand, of, of embracing those that are coming in to Hamburger University, to 
Ronald McDonald House charity, just just to different aspects of the brand that people might have been somewhat familiar with, but not familiar with, and 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 even bringing in. I love the way. And I'm going to let you talk about it because I could go on and on. Um, <laughs> no, that's the kind of words. It's a great, no, it's a great project, and and I definitely invite everyone listening to to go to your site. There's some amazing video and, and photography that's there, but um, I, I think the personal elements that you put in there and on embracing employees that are going to the university and, and and just really telling the story about McDonald's and its culture. So I'm I'm really curious just for you to talk a bit more of, about that and and the challenges and um, how many you know. Big Macs did you, um, you know, end up eating throughout the course of it? You know, you know the fries, and just just go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, thankfully the McDonald's restaurant that's on the ground floor there at their headquarters has a has an evolving international menu. So uh, I'm trying to remember if there was ever a Royale with cheese up oh, there. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. So are you are you telling me <laughs> that that McDonald's is curating all the um, surprise sandwiches that are, exist throughout the world that we can never? Is that, is that what you're telling me? Because I might have to go there. There's a few random McDonald's sandwiches I've had in my travels that... You, you may be able to find it there. I'm, I'm not sure if that specific... It's more like they're aggregating different sandwiches from all over the world. So you may have a a, a Turkish burger or you may have a, an Egyptian burger. I'll do a follow-up to this and actually on-site. Um, and I, you can just take me to the cafeteria and we can share in some strange... McDonald's sandwich from New Zealand or something. Yes, it's all part of the experience. Well, well, and again, I appreciate your kind words on the work. And we can't take all the credit either. There's a firm called Studio O Plus A. It does phenomenal interiors, uh, as well as IA interior architects were involved. And then the technical wizardry of uh, AV firm, AVISPL. So props to them, and as well as to the McDonald's group as well. So some of the Interestingly, sometimes when it comes to projects like these, the, the architecture firm or the client already has a, a pretty set notion of what they want to do, at least to a certain degree. They know this wall is going to have a giant interactive display. What it does, I haven't really gotten to that point yet. So you know, sometimes when there's that kind of constraint of, okay, Leviathan, there is a giant touch wall here. What can we do with it? if we're trying to communicate organizational history or innovation. And then in other cases, there's a wall and they want to do something with it. So there's, um, then the blinders are taken off. So with, as anyone who works in creative field knows, sometimes those design constraints can lead to some great innovations. So uh, we looked at all the different experiences and after uh, reviewing with McDonald's team, what what is most important? What do you want to say about Ronald McDonald House charities, as an example? Or what do we want to do to talk about uh, innovation over the years? Or do we want to talk about the innovators themselves who have had a history with McDonald's? So it's asking some very high-level questions and then trying to figure out the different experiences or determining what should be a different experience versus what should be more cohesive and integrated into a singular one. Um, I think personalization also plays an important part. There are some uh, what look like picture frames. And initially the concept was to have wooden picture frames that highlight the attendees every week of Hamburg University. And th this is a, a curriculum that is one week long, Monday through Thursday, by Thursday evening you're graduated, and the next week they're on to the next one. So very little downtime. So imagining having to switch out 
I don't know, probably 50 some odd picture frames every week and the, the pain of getting those headshots. So we just said, hey, it's a beautiful idea you have here. What if we make this digital instead? And that led to, um, well, what was already a great idea in personalization, but then it led to, uh, let's let's have their name. Let's pull their their favorite menu item, where they're from. And all this is from the registration process. So it, in some ways, it's almost automated. Not only do they not have to print out headshots every week and switch them out, but they don't have to do anything. They just let it populate. Uh, but with that also brings the realization when you're walking through that space, hey, that's me. Yeah. That's me on that screen. This is, it's kind of a neat moment. And that kind of harkens back to that moment at Disney or Universal or anytime you've come off a roller coaster and you look up at the, you know, you exit through the gift shop and look, you can buy this photo for nine ninety nine of you uh, raising your hands and screaming your butt off uh, going down the roller coaster. It's, it's, a, it's a very small example of that kind of power, but it is integrating that power into the experience. No, but it's, I think it's powerful. I think any time that you can place someone within the experience and, and they can see that, it resonates. And, and they pull something from it and, and there's just something about that that just kind of just stirs an emotion. Um, so true. How was, uh, what's, what was the reception um, just from those that were coming to the university? It was there, you know, did they, did they stare at it for a while? Was there a selfie moment in front of it? Was there, <laughs> but, but I mean, what was there a feeling of, you know, that they belong to something, um, that they, they are, you know, part of, part of this journey and brand? Yes, to all the above, actually. And I completely failed to mention there's uh, further to the personalization, you can hashtag while you're at Hamburg University. I won't say what the hashtag is because we may have too many folks getting uh, jumping on the bandwagon. But uh, as they're out exploring Chicago or meeting up with some of their new friends they met at, at HU, they can hashtag that photograph they took uh, while out posting it to Instagram and then that populates the wall. So it really does become a shared experience and uh, I think just elevates it all the way around. Now it's, it's very cool. And again, I, I definitely invite people to, to take a look at it. I think that, you know, I, I think it's a very good example. I think even just in, in looking forward ahead um, and, and those are the kind of experiences that, um, you know, I, I think do justice to what we try to do as practitioners. Um, you know, and, and, and tell a story and then tell a story in an environment that, you know, one might look at and think, well, there's not a story to be told, but in reality there is, there's, there's always a story. Um, it's just being creative and how it's delivered and, and, and how it's integrated into the, the fabric of an environment. So for sure. And, and making an emotional experience while you're there, which, uh, I know emotional experience in Big Mac doesn't always come to mind, but, uh, but, but it's possible. Well, the packaging over the years, maybe the packaging has, 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 has helped. That is that has changed. The, the Happy Meal toys. I mean, the Happy what, Meal can, toys. what can or, bring greater um, motion? Or Monopoly. Monopoly. <laughs> you would run to the store for the Monopoly pieces. For sure. Oh. So I have to ask. So, so you know, obviously, we, I think we've all developed our hobbies. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here to see what, what you've been up to. So, you know, I, I think we've all been in our house and... Um, I'd say I think a bunch of us have gotten um, webinar fatigue. I think there's only so many webinars that you one can go on. Um, yes. I think I think a lot of us have figured out what happens at the end after you watch all the, the shows on Netflix. And there's only so many levels of certain games that you can play. Um, so then you turn to hobbies, indoor or outdoor. Um, I've I've been all over the place on on both of those. So I'm I'm curious any 
any interesting hobbies or any interesting things that have that have come out of the uh, the lockdown. <laughs> I wish I had something clever. Oh, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. Oh, you can <laughs> come on. You, you, there's got to be. Has to. Be. Oh well, I used to travel a lot for work. Uh, most, pretty much every month and multiple weeks out of each month. So I'm enjoying seeing my family. We actually like each other, and we—I <laughs> know we their along. names now. <laughs> <laughs> we have family dinners. It's kind of—it's weird, but it's lovely. Um, but aside from that, I'm trying to just remain healthy, uh, educating myself on some of the the challenges of the world, racial inequity, uh, becoming more reflective uh, myself, and uh, trying trying to figure out how to stay sane. Uh, I will say though, I had heard about Ozark, the series on Netflix for some time, and I finally made it through two seasons of the, the three out of that. So that's been my, my guilty pleasure. I have not, uh, that's, that's one I've not gotten to yet. Um, we, we just uh, discovered Perry Mason. Well, Ooh, how is that? That is amazing. That is actually very well done. Uh, that, that is, that is my, my recommendation. Uh, but that's an H, it's HBO, so, um, but. Uh, I'm going to take you up on that. Thank you. I've been curious. I think it's a great story. It's it's fun. I mean, it's it's a it's a fun show, and um, yeah, it's 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 one to watch. Of course, now, of course, the other part of it too, I would say, is what happens in the fall with with shows. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of animation on the horizon because film production is going to be. It's still hard to do. So, um, but hey, I mean, who wouldn't love? If you're twisted enough, who wouldn't love an extra season of Rick and Morty? That's very true. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to leave it on this one. This, this, this will be a guilty pleasure of mine and one I just discovered or found out it's happening. So apparently, um, this, this is going to date you and I because I, I think we're relatively around the same age. So um, the Mark Paul Gosser who played Zach Morris is, is now watching past episodes of Saved by the Bell and doing a podcast based upon his observations. I guess he never watched the show before. Oh my gosh! For it's those scary. that are for those that are listening, and after this, if you want to find an interesting podcast, you're going to find the Save by the Bell. I mean, can you get any more meta than that? That's I don't think you can. I don't think that's you can. Nuts. I have to check that out. It is. It is interesting. So, well, thank you very much for um, for spending time and chatting with me. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, pleasure to catch up and and see what you're up to. Um, you guys do a lot of amazing work, and I hope that continues and hope to see some some exciting work from you in the future. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, the pleasure was mine. I'm really flattered to, to be on here. Pleasure. And if you can let everyone know, how do they find you? Where can they spot some projects and, and all of the good things? Certainly. The, the Leviathan website has a pretty good collection, and that is www.lvthn.com, or just Leviathan Sans Any Vowels lvthn.com and that'll get you there well thank you for listening to this episode of experience by design podcast i am brian mazeros you can find me on twitter and instagram uh, at open global and again join me for future episodes as we continue to explore different perspectives on experience design thank you for listening